Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. You haven't heard about number crispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. In each episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a bit of advice for those who want it. Now, full disclosure, we are not psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors of any kind, but we are experienced self-help critics. We have lived by the rules of almost 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book, which is right here in this feed if you scroll back. So we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend there is. And besides, we're not here promising to make you all the best, richest, happiest, most optimal, most productive versions of yourselves, if all goes well will just help you feel a little closer to fine. All right, Kristen, we have a couple of great advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as we always do, we're going to start things with our hot topic. What is our hot topic today, Kristen? Today's hot topic is standing desks. Ooh, I've heard of those. They're desks (laughs) that you stand at rather than sit at. And I think you and I are both sort of at one right now. That is right, Jolenta. We are both at our standing desks right now, right at this moment in 2023. But I'm curious, Jolenta, do you remember your first time realizing standing desks were a thing when they were first really popular? For me, the first time I saw them being used a lot was about 10 years ago-ish when we were both working together 
in public radio. And I remember because I was the person who took the requests for the standing desks and like brought them to office services. I believe you were one of the first people to even request one that I encountered. You were like, I think my first foray into standing desks. Yes, I was. At the time, I was producing daily health and culture stories, and one of those stories was about the negative health effects of sitting all day. It was based on a number of, at the time, new longitudinal studies that began in 2012, claiming that, quote, sitting was the new smoking. This was a phrase used over and over again. These studies were published by the American Medical Association, the Journal of Physical Activity and Health, and loads of other reputable outlets. And the big takeaways from all of these studies were that, one, prolonged sitting slowed metabolism, led to an increased risk for cardiovascular disease, and was linked to potential musculoskeletal disorders. And two, even worse, sitting was associated with increased mortality across all sexes, all ages, and all body mass indexes. In other words, sitting would kill all of us before our time, regardless of who we were. And on the way there, it would turn all of our bodies into mush. Wow. Sitting is basically the grim reaper's lap that we're sitting in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then before you know it, as you said, Jolenta, after producing that story, everybody in our department was like, please, Jolenta, get us a standing desk. And then in the meantime, do you remember what we did in the meantime? Oh, I remember because I got in (laughs) trouble because everyone on the show started stealing reams of paper from like every copier area in the office and making their own makeshift standing desks with piles of reams of paper. That's exactly what we did. (laughs) But eventually, all of these standing desk mechanisms you ordered, Jolenta, came in. We all loved them. We used them. And it wasn't just our office. It was offices all over the country. It was the thing to have. But fun fact, Jolenta, even though most of us really only came to see the popularity of standing desks 10 years ago, the standing desk trend actually started way back in the 1700s or possibly even earlier. Shut up. That's so cool. It was all of the rage in the 1700s, at least. Many writers and thinkers like Thomas Jefferson used them. Writers in the 1800s like Charles Dickens famously used them. They claimed that writing at a standing desk got their creative juices flowing more freely, that they felt more engaged with their work. And by the mid-1800s, nearly half of all business writing was done at a standing desk. Wow. So that's way before 2012 when people are getting like these mechanized desks that like raise with electricity and stuff. Yes, way before that. Way before light bulbs were even in our houses. Right. But by the time the 1950s rolled around, standing desks had fallen out of fashion and they didn't really become fashionable again until you and I worked together. Right. When we were all told we were basically killing ourselves if we sat too long. Exactly. Exactly. And the popularity of standing desks continued on the upswing during the pandemic as more and more people began working remotely. In the UK alone, searches for standing desks in the first months of the pandemic went up over 20%. It was 
a super scary time. Right. And we all wanted to do what little we could to stay healthy. We didn't have a vaccine at the time. Right. We didn't know what our futures were, but at least we could get a standing desk. At least desk. we could fucking stand. Like, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Yes. There's a but to all of this, though, Jolenta. Of course there's a but. A but in <laughs> a chair or a but that's standing. I'm not sure which. <laughs> While all of us were trying to take care of our health with our standing desks, it turns out that the benefits of standing desks were grossly overestimated by me, by all of those scientists who did those longitudinal studies back in 2012, by journalists the world over. We were all grossly overstating the benefits of standing desks. More recent studies have found the effects on metabolism, for example, are tiny, with standing desk users burning an average of only eight more calories per hour than when they sit down. Studies from Japan and Denmark have found that among salaried workers, professionals, and those in home businesses, there is zero association between sitting at work and cardiovascular risk. And even studies that do find some association between sitting and health are now careful to point to context. In some cases, researchers say prolonged sitting may be the effect of poor health unemployment, or low socioeconomic status, not the cause. Mm. And on top of all that, some newer studies even suggest that standing all day can be bad for us. What? Yes. yes. No. It's like the opposite of what we were what? told. It went from being our lifesaver <laughs> from that the evil death that is sitting to bad for us. This is milk all over again. It is. <laughs> A longitudinal study of nearly 40,000 people published in the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine found that standing or walking for more than six hours a day at work was associated with a doubled or even tripled risk of needing surgery for varicose veins. And mind you, varicose veins, if you don't know, they're not just a cosmetic issue. They're associated with increased risks of arterial disease and heart failure, that same Ooh. heart issue that was supposed to happen if we sat too long. <laughs> of course. Of course it is. <laughs> so, Kristen, knowing all of this, what do you do now? I'm curious. <laughs> like, are you still a cheerleader for standing desks? Do you still stand for standing desks? Are you going <laughs> to sit more? Does it even matter if both sitting and standing are killing us? <laughs> Well, you know what, Jolenta? I'm standing here right now talking to you, and I'm going to continue to stand here. Wow. I am a stand for my standing desk, and you are going to rip my standing desk out of my cold, dead hands, and I'm going to tell you why. I have five oh, reasons why. Oh, this is a five-pronged yeah, approach. not one, not two, not three. Five reasons why my standing desk is still my baby. Go for it. Okay. So first... I honestly believe I sound better on mic when I stand. My whole body is engaged. My breathing feels deeper. My voice seems to project better. And I know you're in the same camp as me, Jolenta, on this. You're standing right now as we record. Right, right. And for the work we do, standing is appropriate. As someone who has studied voice for acting and singing, there's a reason singers stand, because they have better access to their full lung capacity. Your diaphragm can fully extend. You can breathe deeper. You sound more resonant. It's a healthier way to sort of sustain making sound for a longer period of time, too. Like, it is 
good for if you are vocalizing. Yes, yes. And since I personally, on top of recording this show, also record another show, plus appear in guest spots minimum two to three times a week, I'm going to stand a lot and this right. desk is going to be very good for that. Right, exactly. It's serving its purpose. Yes. Now, the second reason I am not giving up on my standing desk is that like Charles Dickens and Virginia Woolf and all the writers before me who used standing desks, I feel like I'm just more fully engaged with my writing when my body is into it too, when it's not just my head. And I don't know if that's a placebo effect or what it is, but I just feel like I'm more in it. I'm all right. in, if that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what you mean, but I sit on the floor when I do it. Ooh. And I oh. was going to be like, well, I'm not standing, but I'm still sitting in a weird way that is engaging my body differently. So I know yeah. what you're saying. So your body is all in also, just in a different way. Right, right. Just all in on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Now, my third reason I'm sticking with my standing desk. Right. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'm just going to say it. You know this, Jolenta, already. I am kind of a dangerous sitter. When I sit, I have this terrible habit of crossing one leg over the other until the other leg falls asleep. And then when I try to get up, I fall and hurt myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember, Jolenta, but this happened more than once to me when we still worked in offices. It happened all the time. We'd be like, oh, we got to run to this meeting. And she'd be like, ah, ah, I can't. My foot's asleep. And then I'd be on the floor. Yeah, topple over. <laughs> She's not good, like, one-footed. Because I was going to say, a fair amount of us experience this, but I think we're able to, like, kind of quickly walk it off or hobble it off and make it make it look like it's not a thing. Kristen cannot do this. <laughs> no, I can't. And I'm not alone in this. My friend Rafer he has also injured himself. No way. Because he makes his leg fall asleep because he sits the wrong way also. And he and I have laughed about this. Like, we're just two people laying on the ground because we don't know how to sit right. <laughs> Next reason, please. The fourth reason I'm sticking with my standing desk is that my posture is just better when I stand. And my right. neck and my back tend to feel better. I'm not slouching over my desk. I'm not like round backing it, if you will. And this is a benefit of standing desk that most study authors agree is real. This one is not in my head. This is something that has been pointed to as a real benefit of standing desks by scientists. Right. It's much easier to stay aligned. Like our computers were not designed with our spine health in mind. And we definitely hunch when we sit like yes. little squirrels hoarding a nut. Yes, exactly. And do you want to know the fifth reason why, Jolenta? Reason number five, please. <laughs> All right. The fifth reason I will not give up my standing desk is that I have personally found that I move more when I have a standing desk. And while standing may be overrated, the authors of all these new studies say that moving is not overrated. In my case, when I stand, I find myself pacing the floor as I read my incoming texts. I shift back and forth from foot to foot, kind of like dancing as I listen to edits of our shows. I step away from my desk more often than I do when I sit. So having a standing desk does actually make me somebody who moves more, and moving is actually healthy. But let's get to you, Jolenta. Yes. Where do you stand on standing oh desks? Oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> how? How did I not see that coming? It's so blatantly obvious. <laughs> I guess I'm 50-50. I'm sort of polar opposites. Like I said, I'm going to stand when I'm doing on mic work, but I'm probably going to be on the floor when I'm writing, which is not good for my posture, but I like it. But I am i don't feel like I'm in danger of my standing desk because I don't use it so, so often. I use like 50% of the time. So I think I'm just going to stick with what I'm doing and not berate myself as much for sitting because turns out it's not as bad as smoking. <laughs> no, not even so that's, close. That's my favorite <laughs> takeaway from this is like you're not fucking up if you're sitting at a desk. Like you might be like curving your spine a little, but you're not dramatically shortening your life when you could be standing instead. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting, you can now smoke too. Right. Oh, my God. So much easier. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We're not telling anybody to smoke. <laughs> but we do want to hear from all of our listeners out there. Totally. Are you a fan of a standing desk? Do you stand for them? Do you have one? Do you sit? Are you a floor worker like me? What has improved your life and or health? Share your stories with us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com or you can weigh in on facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's been made to feel like the bad guy. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are. Hey, everyone, we're back with our first letter of the day. Jolenta, what do they have to say? Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I have a friend who's been going through a rough patch, or I'm not sure if a rough patch is the right word, as it's now stretched out for several years. I love this friend and want to support her, but I'm also beginning to feel frustrated with how one-sided the friendship is. I used to text minimum once per week to invite her on a walk or for a chat. I initiated most of our get-togethers, with her only inviting me out once every five times I invited her out. I was fine with this, as I knew she was feeling down, and because when we actually saw each other, she'd be overjoyed and thankful. 
But in the past year, she often replies that she's busy when I invite her out, adding that she'd love to get together sometime soon, but never giving specific dates or times. And so I've begun to cut down on initiating contact. But now I've heard through mutual friends that this friend feels I've abandoned her and that she hates hearing secondhand about the fun I'm having with these shared friends. I feel in protecting my own well-being, I've suddenly become the bad guy. What is the best course of action here? I don't want to go back to being rebuffed constantly, especially when I have many other friends who are happy to make plans with me. And while I understand this friend is sad and that things aren't going her way, is it really fair for her to treat me this way? Oh, letter writer. First and foremost, no, it's not fair. No. It's not fair for her to treat you this way. I'm sorry. It sounds like you have done the best you can here, that you have tried to initiate contact. You've tried not to take it personally, that it's usually you doing the initiating. Right. You have looked on the bright side. Your friend used to act overjoyed when you would finally get together in person. You are not the bad guy. I hate that you said you might be the bad guy here. You're not the bad guy. No. Please don't identify yourself that way. No. No one's bad. Absolutely not. I agree. Not the bad guy. And it's not fair. I would say if you do feel like you want this issue confronted, go for it. If you can pin her down in person in a phone call, in a voicemail, or even via text, although that's difficult because tone is hard to read, Mm -hmm. let her know how you feel. You know, you can let her know how you felt when you did reach out over and over again and started getting like rebuffed more and more and how that has an impact and how you start feeling like unwanted and it hurts your feelings. Because I don't think your friend wants to hurt your feelings if she does care about you, which which I'm going to assume she does. And I can relate to your friend. So while I can't speak for her, I'm going to speak for me. I don't get back to people because sometimes I tell myself, like, they're just doing this to be nice. They don't mean it. I'm basically doing them a favor by blowing them off. And it took a friend confronting me about this and telling me how it made her feel for me to realize that I was like telling myself things that weren't true and acting on them. It took a friend being like, hey, I hate that it's always me. And sometimes you just like never write me back. It makes me feel like you don't like me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love you. I am so sorry. I thought you didn't want to hear from like the sad person who's been sick for many years and you were just doing this out of pity. And she was like, no, like you're my friend. Get back to me. And I was like, oh, shit, of course. But it took sort of that wake up call of being sort of called out on my behavior and being told how my behavior is affecting people because my assumptions were totally incorrect about what people wanted from me. I think that is a very kind and fair and insightful assessment there, Jolenta. And I just want to say that I have, at certain times, been this friend also. And and I still am with certain people. I have one friend, Eric Sasson, whose name has been mentioned on the show before. Classic Eric. Eric Sasson owns up to the fact. He's like, I know that every time we get together, at least four out of five times, it's me initiating the call for us to get together. And you'll initiate one out of five times. And... I think all of us sometimes have those friends who one Mm -hmm. person does a little bit more of the initiating than the others. And so I I think sometimes that's just the dynamic of certain friendships. That being said, if Eric Sasson told me point blank, 
I don't like this dynamic anymore. I would change things. I absolutely like it's hurting would. my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. If he told me it was hurting his feelings, I absolutely would change things. The reason I don't initiate things is because he has this bananas travel schedule. And half the time when I call him, he's like, hold on. I, I can't hear you. I'm in Milan right now. And so like <laughs> this has literally happened right. within the last month where I, I did call him and he was in another country. And so I just kind of like assume with his jet setting life, I don't need to be the girl living in Brooklyn calling him all the time. And I just, and, but, but if he did tell me at some point that hurts my feelings, I would change things. I would absolutely. And hopefully our letter writer, your, your friend would take that seriously too. I I hope your friend would take it seriously. One other bit of advice I just want to give, take it or leave it is you can say to your mutual friends also, if it's bugging you every time they report back to you, like Susie hates seeing that you're having a good time without her. You can say to your mutual friends, you don't need to report that back to me. You can keep that to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. We don't all need to report everything every friend says to our other friends. That is not on us to do. And I know that I've made the mistake of thinking I'm supposed to do that myself. Oh, boy, have I burned myself doing that, reporting things <laughs> I should not have reported. Because sometimes, like, they do kill the messenger or yes. get pissed at the messenger. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I've been that messenger. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you can tell your friends, like, I know you're trying to do the right thing here, trying to relay some difficult messages, but you don't need to tell me that stuff. That's fine. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And just remember, you're not the bad guy. There's no bad guy. It's either kind of a misunderstanding with hurt feelings or maybe something you just want to tell your friends to, like, stop reporting on and give it a break. Yeah. Have that tough conversation or give it a break and don't hear the third-hand reports anymore. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do... We would be so grateful if you took a moment to rate and review us in your pod player if you're enjoying the show. And if you've been listening this long, we're guessing you do enjoy it. You know, we're most of the way through the episode. Yeah. Hit a little five stars. Write a little ditty about what you like about the show. It helps other people find the show and check us out. Coming up, a letter writer wants some insights on her trip planning. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet? Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Okie doke. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, read it for us, please. All righty. 
Dear Kristen and Jolenta, what is it like for each of you when getting ready for a trip? I am currently prepping for a trip and it feels like my brain is a pile of marbles that someone just hit and my thoughts are scattered everywhere. I am in the phase of exploring what ADHD is and if this is something I have. I will be starting therapy in September and plan on bringing this up then, but in the meantime, I have questions. Is the state of my brain normal during trip planning or could this be an ADHD thing? How are things different for Jolenta as someone with ADHD versus Kristen who doesn't have it? We're all different, and I don't know if there's such a thing as normal out there. And even people who are neurotypical frequently feel like that wonderful metaphor you used of marbles flying everywhere when they're getting ready for a trip. Right. You know, you can't predict everything that'll go right or wrong on your trip. You don't know if your bus is going to leave on time. You don't know if when you arrive at your hotel, your room will be ready. You know, there's a lot of things that are kind of not in your control when you travel. And that just makes some people feel really wound up and makes their thoughts go in a million different directions. So I don't know if I would say that has to do with ADHD. Would you, Jolenta? Not necessarily. I'm sure if you're exploring it, there are reasons beyond trip planning as well. But from what I know of having seen a fair amount of people plan for trips, everyone gets scattered in their own way because trip planning is not neat. Like Kristen said, you can't plan for everything. It's hard to remember everything you use in your day-to-day life. Like It's just normal to feel scattered when you're planning for a trip. One of the worst case scenarios happened to me when I was young. So I was moving to Guatemala for a few months and going to school there. My luggage got lost. This is before cell phones, by the way. This is like dealing with faxes and emails and so on. And my luggage somehow being sent to the wrong country and then to the wrong city. And so most of my time while I was in school in Guatemala... I had one outfit I was wearing, a spare set of underpants and some toiletries in my carry-on, and then I went to a thrift store that was down my street in Guatemala, and I think I bought like two pairs of jeans and two skirts and two tops, and then I just rotated them in and out over and over and over again, and I bought it, I don't know, I think I maybe bought some sunscreen when I ran out, I don't know, but regardless, whatever happened, I realized like, this is fine. This didn't kill me. Yeah. I'm still here. Anything that was misplaced in my luggage, I eventually got back again. Plus, I got a refund for inconvenience for half my plane ticket. So in the end, it all was fine. It worked out. And then I think ever since then, I've sort of just felt kind of zen about it. So usually when I go on a trip, it doesn't matter if it's a trip to New Zealand for four weeks or if it's just a weekend in D.C. to see friends. At this point, I wake up a half hour before it's time to go, throw everything I want in a backpack, and then just leave. And then it's happened before that I've forgotten a toothbrush and had to buy a new toothbrush. It happened recently that I think I needed tampons and I had to buy tampons. But other than that, I'm just like, it'll be fine. That sounds great. (laughs) And and I I will also say that's a privilege because I have the money to afford tampons if I want them. I have the money to afford a new toothbrush if I need it. So I'm very lucky in that way. And I know not everybody has that extra money to do those kinds of things, right? Right. And not everyone has had that experience that now makes them so zen when they travel. Yeah. And (laughs) and not everybody reacts to that circumstance the same way either. There are definitely people who I think would double down on getting anxious before packing for a trip because of that 
Yeah, I would. So it's both the experience itself and how I ended up reacting to it. But there's no right or wrong reaction. There's no right right or wrong way to be getting ready for a trip. The only thing I would add here is like, if the getting ready for a trip is causing you real misery, real anxiety, if it's causing you to lash out at those around you, maybe it's worth examining deeper things there. Yeah. And that might be worth exploring when you talk to your psychologist, in addition to your suspicions that you might have ADHD. Totally. Well, now I just want to talk about how I manage getting ready for a trip as someone who does get frazzled. Oh, yeah, yeah. I want to hear, Jolenta. Yeah. I want to hear. So when I get overwhelmed, I just start making a list. And my first travel to do slash packing list is just sort of like a giant brain dump, you know, just a, a list of every fucking thing from, you know, remembering to turn off lights to remembering which shoes I want to bring to remembering like what we're going to bring for the dog if he's coming. And I just sort of keep this running list going somewhere accessible in a day planner journal in an email draft just somewhere where you can easily add to it. So that way, when something sort of pops up in your brain about like, oh, I have to remember to do this for the trip or I have to remember to look up like horseback rides when we get there, you don't just try and pin it in your brain and keep it there. You can just pin it on the piece of paper and leave it there and then go think about something else. Because for me, the frazzledness comes from trying to remember so many different Mm. things and keeping track of them. Then when you get closer to the trip around, I don't know, I usually do it about a week and a half, two weeks before the trip. I start going through that giant master list and categorizing tasks. There's stuff to do for the house before you leave. There are clothes to pack. There are toiletries to pack. There are books to pack. And I sort of categorize it and then deal with the categories as necessary. The packing ones I deal with like the night before. The ones that are planning, I might, you know, be doing a week or two weeks before and calling ahead. So that master list really helps me not feel frazzled because I know I can just put it there and not have to remember it until I leave. You sound so organized, Jolenta. But I'm not even as organized as Brad. Listen to what he does. (laughs) I told him this question and he was like, oh, here's what I do. Brad, my husband, says he has a permanent packing list, like sort of a master list. Wow. And no matter what trip he's going on, he makes sure to go by that list and then add on additional things that are specific to the location we're going. Wow. Yeah. Brad, both of you. Brad also uh, has been diagnosed with ADHD, and that's really helped him, that just sort of like permanent packing list. Wow. You two are really on top of things. Uh, letter writer, listen to Jolenta and Brad. Don't listen to me. I, I I don't think my method works for most people. A half hour before it's most time to go, most of us can't get up a half hour beforehand. Most of us need a need a list or two um, just to help keep track of shit. <laughs> you know, there are different ways for different folks, but yeah, if you are feeling wound up, I do think Jolenta and Brad are the way to go. Don't do what I do. <laughs> that would wind me up more personally. and that's it for this episode of how to be fine huge huge thank you to our executive producer nora ritchie our producer Chantel holder and our composer and engineer casey holford Reminder, you can always weigh in on the conversation on Instagram at HowToBeFinePod. Jolenta is in charge of that, and she always has fun stuff there. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. 
And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. And until then, stay fine. Stitcher. You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there and breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics. Because that's who we are.